0: Miller for three. Ow! Oh, he backed it in! He backed it in! And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes! TJ Warren is not human. Ranger catches, shoots for three to win it. He
1: hits it.
2: To go. Brogdon for three. Let Got it! Go. O'Neill drives on Yao. puts it in. Duarte for three.
1: Boom, baby!
0: Anthony <laughs> oh,
2: Denies him at the rim. Harris LeVert, people don't realize how good he really is.
0: LeVert, skies high
2: for the jam. Stevenson, oh, passes, oh, passes in into Savonis for the basket. Jackson turns, fires, and hits. Oh, Miles wow.
1: Turner, bringing that smoke. He flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hits.
2: hits, hits. This is TJ McConnell,
0: and you're listening to Setting
1: the pace, Pacer Nation. What is going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden. You can follow me at Alex Golden NBA. You can follow our podcast at Setting the Pace. And if you haven't already, make sure you leave us a five star rating and review over at Apple Podcast and over at Spotify. I'm sure you guys are aware, but Fachi will not be here for today's episode or. Thursday's episode this week. So I'll be getting some different guests on to get their thoughts and joining me on today's podcast will be Mark Monteith. We're going to talk about this Pacers heat game and then we're also just going to have a discussion about everything that went down over the last couple of weeks. And I just want to get his thoughts because he is the encyclopedia of the Pacers. So he knows so much about this team, but I want to get into uh, his thoughts on that. And then we're going to have Ian Thomas come on in the last segment for our fan of the week. But before I bring them on, I wanted to do a little bit of a short solo opening segment here because I love Christmas time. I think Christmas is an awesome time just to share your thoughts and everyone seems happier and everyone just likes being around each other more for some reason. And obviously, you know, COVID last year really took away some of what that experience was like because, you know, we're in to be family and social distancing and all that. But this year, uh, while COVID is still a real thing and we're trying to be careful and safe, you know, It's just it's just so nice to be back with family and be together for the holiday season. But um, I'm going to do a little segment here similar to the Thanksgiving segment. I said Uh, with Brendan King, we looked at every single Pacers player on the roster and compared them to a food at Thanksgiving meal. So uh, we had a lot of different variants there and uh, that kind of thing. But on today's episode on this segment, I'm going to say if every Pacers player were a Christmas character. So let's get right into it. Um, For Buddy the Elf, I've got Gogo Batadze. They're both tall, goofy, and just they have that smile that makes you want to smile back. I think Gogo would be the perfect Buddy the Elf. And then sticking with Elf, um, I went ahead and went with Wanda, the store manager at Gimbal's, uh, the guy that actually fires uh, Buddy from working there when he never worked there, and that's Keelan Martin because, you know, I find Wanda from Elf to be hilarious, and I think Keelan can be funny But at the same time, he takes his job very seriously. And I think Keelan is that way on the court. And then now we're going to transition to the Grinch. When you look at the Grinch, you kind of have to look at it like a wrestler. It's like for most of the story, he's kind of the bad guy. But then at the end, he becomes the good guy. So I actually broke this down into the Grinch pre-heel turn and the Grinch post-heel turn. So for the pre-heel turn, we're going to go with Brad Wanamaker for the bad grinch the grinch that nobody likes the grinch that everybody despises um in the song about the grinch we hear the words that best describe him are stink stank stunk that's why we're going with brad wanamaker and then for the post heel turn the one that people actually love we're gonna go with pacers rookie isaiah jackson his heart is like three times enlarged whatever it is i forget the exact time so i'm our exact size that that heart was enlarged but we know that the Grinch just became full of love and realize what Christmas was all about. And so I think uh, that happy-go-lucky kind of side is Isaiah Jackson. But let's move on now to Christmas vacation. We've got Clark Griswold here. I had to go with T.J. McConnell. If there's anybody that seems like a family man uh, on this Pacers team, I think first and foremost it's got to be T.J. McConnell. And then going over to Cousin Eddie. Cousin Eddie is is a guy that doesn't realize when he's overstayed his welcome and unfortunately, I have to go with Jeremy Lamb for that one. So I uh, don't want to say too many mean things there, but we'll just keep it moving. Then I've got Alvin from Alvin and the Chipmunks. And I'm going to have to say this is Justin Holiday. If you guys know anything about Alvin from Alvin and the Chipmunks, he is a guitar player. And if you've seen Justin Holiday's Instagram page and his stories, you know that he, too, plays guitar. Moving on next from the Rudolph Claymation series, we've got Yukon Cornelius. I went with Demantis Sabonis. Yes, I feel like they do have a similar look to one another, but you know, we know that Yukon is a little bit greedy, but he has a heart of gold at the end, and I think that is who Sabonis is. Now, for Ebenezer Scrooge, we know the story of Scrooge from the Christmas Carol. Kind of a tough, you know, no-nonsense kind of guy, kind of, a, kind of a pain in the butt, whatever you want to call it, but in the end, he finds what the true meaning of Christmas is all about, and you, you turn and you end up liking them, kind of similar to, kind of similar to the Grinch, right? A little bit, but not entirely. I went with Rick Carlisle. Okay, uh, Rick Carlisle can kind of crum, come across as, you know, a funny guy, but can also come across as a guy that can be kind of annoying and kind of like, ugh, tired of hearing him. We obviously heard some of the stuff that happened with Rick Carlisle in Dallas, so I thought that was funny there. But uh, moving on uh, from Home Alone, I only went with one person, Kevin McAllister from Home Alone, the Forgotten One, right? We're going to go with O'Shea Brissett here. Now he is back in the rotation, but for so long, he was an afterthought. He was a guy that I even forgot was part of the team at points because we just hadn't seen or heard from him in so long. But Kevin is also, you know, so full of energy. And O'Shea Brissett is that guy. I mean, Kevin McAllister, in that movie, he has so many different tricks up his sleeves. He likes to have fun. I mean, he's, you know, sledding down the stairs out into the front yard. I mean, that sounds like something O'Shea would do, so I went with that. Uh, moving on now, we have Olaf from Frozen. I went with Miles Turner here. You know, uh, Olaf is a really fun character that I think everybody pretty much likes from the movie Frozen. Uh, if you don't like him, you probably just don't like Frozen in general. So that might be why you're not even tuning in. But if you're watching Frozen, Olaf will bring some joy to your to your TV screen there and into your living room. But at the same time, Olaf is not the main character. Some might even call him a glorified role player. So. Felt like Miles Turner fit that bill perfectly. Next, we've got Rudolph from the Claymation, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And I had to go with Malcolm Brogdon because, look, at the end of the day, say what you want. People like to make fun of Malcolm Brogdon for his level of play or his style of play. But ultimately, he's not a bad player. Rudolph is the leader of Santa's sleigh, right? And Malcolm Brogdon is the leader of the Pacers team. Next, we've got Frosty the Snowman. Okay, this is a tough one here. But I had to go with TJ Warren because we know that Frosty the Snowman melts away and doesn't come back until it's wintertime. And look, TJ Warren hasn't played in over a year now. So we're close to a year. It's like we're not going to see him for over a year of play. So it just felt like TJ Warren fit that bill of Frosty the Snowman because Frosty is only here to play a little bit and, uh, you know, eventually he's going to melt away. And that's kind of what's happened here with TJ Warren. And then Three more left. We're going to go to a, a fun movie, Jingle All the Way. Arnold Schwarzenegger plays Howard Langston, and Sinbad plays Myron Larrabee. So for the Terminator himself, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, we call him Turbo Man in Jingle All the Way. I went with Chris Duarte, right? I I feel like Chris Duarte loves his son so much that he would do anything to get that Turbo Man for his son. But have no fear. I think Tori Craig is an incredible father as, as well. I feel like him and Duarte going at it, trying to get that Turbo Man would be the ultimate great recasting here with the Pacers. And, you know, Arnold's got a little bit of a bit of an accent. I think Chris Duarte's got a nice little accent. I can see Chris Duarte being on stage as Turbo Man. And then lastly, we've got Karis LeVert. I had a really hard time finding a perfect fit for Karis. If you guys have a better one than this, please hit me up. But... I went with Snoopy from Charlie Brown's Christmas. So, uh, in this thing, Snoopy wins the contest for the best decorated doghouse, right, with all the lights that he has on it. And we know Snoopy just kind of does his thing. And Snoopy's pretty cool. Like, Snoopy's not the number one character. It's obviously Charlie Brown, right? But everybody loves Snoopy. And I think with Karis, he's kind of got those cool vibes similar to Snoopy. So, That is why I went with Snoopy for Carousel LeVert. So if you guys like this exercise, I really appreciate you guys listening. If you have any other thoughts on maybe who I left out or who I should have compared somebody to better, hit me up at Alex AlexGoldenNBA on Twitter. But with that being said, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to have on the great Mark Monteith.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: All right, everybody. Joining us now on Setting the Pace is the one and only Mark Monteith. Mark, tough game to watch tonight. Not really very fun at all, but uh, we're here to talk about this Pacers team, and I'm excited to get your insight. How are you doing today?
2: Oh, I'm doing well. Doing well. There would have been a better night to talk about this team, but maybe this is appropriate uh, given the way this season has gone.
1: Yeah, so let's let's just kind of go back. I guess we can go all the way back to a few weeks ago when Bob Kravitz and Sham Sharani came out and and got a quote basically from somebody within the front office saying this team is ready to look for a a bit of a rebuild. Um, In the article, you can kind of tell that it means more of a retool than a rebuild. And then since then, we've had a number of events happen. Miles Turner talks to the Athletic. So does Carlisle. So does Pritchard. And then Herb Simon comes out, talks to the media about everything. So starting with that first report to where we are now, um, can you just give me some of your insight and some of your thoughts on what's all went down?
2: Yeah, I'm skeptical of all stories related to a trade because of my experience, you know, I covered, I was a beat writer for a dozen years and have been around the team many years uh, beyond that. And, you know, front office people don't tell reporters that they're thinking about trading so-and-so or you know, that these three guys are on the block, you know, that kind of thing. It doesn't happen that way. I can't imagine it happened this time. I, I have no doubt that the Pacers are, considering trades they're looking for something to to do you know to get out of this rut but i am highly skeptical of any of those reports my mantra and maybe i've said it to you before but my mantra is that the trades that are rumored don't happen the trades that happened were not rumored and that is i can only think of one exception to that and um so yeah i mean the pacers I have no question that the front office is looking for ways to make the team better. They're not happy, obviously, with how things have gone to this point. Uh, you do need to be patient when you have a, a new coach, a new system. Uh, this franchise certainly has had seasons that got off slowly and people got frustrated, but they turned out to be good seasons. Uh, for a couple of examples, you know, Larry Brown's first season, they they were like uh, 16 and 23 in January and turned it around and got to the conference finals. Uh, In the ABA, after they traded their core of their championship teams, Mel Daniels, Roger Brown, Freddie Lewis, and kind of retooled around George McGinnis, they were 14 and 21 in January and got to the ABA finals. So it's not a mystery that a team with a new coach uh, might struggle for a while, but just the way this team has looked at times does not give you encouragement. So, Again, the front office, no doubt, is looking into trades. They're not going to uh, preview those for anybody in the media. And Herb Simon, first of all, I was surprised that he had a press conference. And I think, I'm guessing that the purpose was to um, calm things down because of the trade rumors. You know, no team wants their players to be jittery about, oh, we're going to do something. You know, one of you guys is going to get traded soon, that kind of thing. Uh, So I think he was trying to calm things down and he may have used some unfortunate wording about we have a nice little team, that kind of thing. I think people are making too much of that. It's not that Herb Simon doesn't want to win anything like that, doesn't care about winning. It's He was trying to calm things down, maybe chose uh, some wrong ways to express it. But Herb Simon has always given his GM's latitude in making deals. I don't really know of any cases where he stepped in and said, no, no, you can't do that. So. I think that's kind of a distraction to this whole discussion is herb Simon's press conference well intended, didn't come off the way he hoped. Uh, but certainly this front office has to be looking into whatever they can do to make the team better.
1: Yeah, I think if we, if we go back to what herb said and everything that he said, like the, I think the only thing that I was really like just surprised that he said is that uh, you know he, he said that Kevin Pritchard, has put together a hell of a team as they're currently 13th in the Eastern conference. I think that was a little bit, you know, just kind of like, okay, like, is that really what you think? I mean, I'm not, I'm just a little bit surprised. And then you fast forward a little bit into that conversation and has no idea about the, you know, the, the TV stuff, what's going on there. I think that was just, A nice little way of saying like, Hey, I don't really think he pays that much attention to everything, but I mean, who knows, but the little thing, yeah, it is definitely being overblown. I'm definitely just playing it up on social media for fun with it. Just cause um, you know, anytime I hear the word little now, that's all I can think about is him calling this team a little team and Referring to TJ. Yeah. Yeah. Re- yeah. Little McConnell. I mean, it's just like, OK, uh, you know, I mean, it, it sounds condescending a little bit, but I, I just think that's just who Herb is a little bit talking and not trying to come across that way. But um, ultimately, though, when that report came out, like I, I trust Bob Kravitz to an extent, um, had him on the show and, you know, I, he's always been someone that is not going to put out something just to put it out. Sham um, Sharania is usually pretty right with everything he reports and everything that he shares. So I don't know where this actually came from in terms of uh, how they got this information. But to me, it felt like they were trying to get ahead of what would have come out from The Athletic in terms of an article about Miles Turner, kind of phrasing the way that maybe he might want out of Indiana. I don't know if you agree with that at all or not, but it sure seems like they were trying to get in front of something
2: yeah I can't say what the motivation was. you know, but again, you know, nothing has happened since that article came out, and there haven't been any follow up rumors about something happening. so we'll we'll just have to see how that plays out. had yeah, a miles case, you know, he he said he was frustrated by his role, which I can understand. Uh, but he also said he wants to be in Indianapolis if I remember correctly. You know, he's talked about how he you know likes the city and everything. So it's not like he was asking for a trade but he did say he's frustrated with his role. So, you know, when a team's going like this, and particularly in this day and age of social media and so many opportunities to be heard and perhaps be misconstrued, you know, things are going to come out. Uh, I think, you know, Alex, for me, this team, I mean, we have to not totally focus on tonight's game because it was a bit of an outlier. You know, Miami hits 22 of 49 three-pointers. Uh, every team over the course of a season will have games where, you, where you're like Miami was tonight, and you'll have games where you're like the Pacers were tonight, you know, where you're just horrible and couldn't beat anybody. The fact is, the Pacers are 13 and 19. That's who they are. They're not what they were tonight. They're a 13 and 19 team, and that's bad. And to me, the troubling thing, Alex, is that, you know, they were a better offensive team last year than this yeah. year. You know, last year at this time, they were 15 and 17. Now they're 13 and 19, and everybody thought Rick Carlisle was going to be a major upgrade over Nate Bjorkman, and that has not been the case to this point. Uh, They aren't scoring as much, about seven points less per game. They aren't shooting it as well. They're turning the ball over more. Uh, They are, I believe, a better defensive team. Uh, And Rick Carlisle talks about, he's got a record of when he takes over team, things get better, you know, significantly. And he says that's always been because of the focus on defense. And this team – is better defensively, but it's still not a good defensive team. <laughs> you know, what I mean yeah. their perimeter defense is still poor. Last year it's horrible. This year I'd say it's poor. Uh that's the puzzling thing to me. I guess the main thing I'm disturbed by is just their half-court offense is not good. They do not get good shots. You know, again, ignoring tonight's game, just on the whole this season, they do not get as good a shots as the opponent on most nights. And that should not be the case. And I, you know, Rick Carlisle, when he was Larry Bird's offensive coordinator, the Pacers ran good offense, completely different era, completely different players that with the talent they had, they ran great offense. And then when he was the head coach, again, completely different talent, they ran good offense. So I was expecting and looking forward to the seeing, to see the Pacers run good offense and they don't. They're lined up around the three point line, high pick and roll, you know, they they don't attack the basket often enough or the right people aren't doing it at times. And that's, the, to me, the real puzzling and disappointing thing is that they just don't run good offense. And there's not, you know, this late into the season, I don't think that should be the case. We should be at least seeing indications that they're trending in the right direction offensively. Uh, now, I think, I think their biggest need is a true point guard. You know, yeah. And they have one, but T.J. McConnell's injured. So to me, Brogdon is not a point guard, even when healthy. Um, And that makes all the difference in the world. If you don't have a point guard who really makes the offense go, if you don't have a quarterback out there, you're going to struggle, uh, even on nights when you're shooting the ball pretty well. So they really, in my mind, miss T.J. McConnell. Um, They need a true point guard. And beyond that, their biggest need is as a genuine leader, a guy who would be in the locker room tonight racing hell. You know, a guy who would hold teammates accountable. Now, that player has to be a good player. <laughs> you know, has to be guy, somebody who produces himself. Then you go back over the history of the Pacers. You know, Reggie Miller wasn't an outspoken guy, but he always led by example, and he was emotional. This team doesn't really have somebody who's emotional in the right way. Um, they're kind of searching for a genuine leader. I can go back to the very beginnings of the franchise, you know, Mel Daniels was the guy who'd tear up a locker room after a game like this. Uh, you go through other stretches of their history. You know, they had more emotional guys who would be angry after a game like this. So, um, and, and, and it goes on the coach too. Like, it's frustrating. And, you know, Rick Carlisle's talking right now and I don't know what he's saying, but it's frustrating after bad games to hear a coach say, well, there were some positives tonight, you know, that kind of thing. And I don't expect an NBA coach to, you know, be Bobby Knight and, and, you know, cuss out his players or, you know, really insult them or scream and holler, that kind of thing. But you want to see a coach who's angry after bad games like tonight. Uh, I think that at least makes the fans feel like the coaches in, in, invested in this kind of thing, engaged. And Rick Carlisle has not been that guy. You know, he's a very laid back guy. Bland personality. Now, you know, we don't know what he says in the locker room or in the huddles, that kind of practice. But still, he's not projecting himself as a coach who gets angry when the team doesn't play well.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, a lot to unpack there. I-, I think that you have some great points on the offense. Like, I-, I think Carlisle was asked about the offense and how it's kind of not been good. And I think it goes back to that Detroit game when we lost in Detroit. And he just basically said it's a def- – he said it's a play-hard issue. It's a defensive issue, uh, kind of ignoring the offense. And then they come out and lay an egg against Charlotte. All the starters get benched. They almost come back and win it with a bench unit. Uh, you got third stringers out there playing, and they almost came back and win it. And then they have, you know, this turnaround game against the Pelicans who had really been struggling at that point too, and they're still not playing great. And, you know, it kind of seems like everything like, oh, okay, we fixed it. And then they just – Continue to go up and down. Like it's just highs and lows every time with this team. And, you know, you talk about McConnell, and I won't lie. I've heard your thoughts on, you know, putting Laverne on the bench and starting McConnell. And I've, you know, not been a huge fan of that just because I think McConnell. While he is maybe the best true point guard on the team, he's still got a lot of limitations to what he can do. Being a smaller guy and a guy that can't shoot the ball, uh, I think this team definitely needs to be more athletic and and get guys that can shoot a little bit better than what yeah. they have. So, I mean... Let's,
2: let's, let's talk about McConnell for a minute. Okay, I understand your opinion. Respect that. And I know a lot of people, probably more people would agree with you than me. Uh, but to me, he is underrated as... An athlete i mean he's as quick as anybody on the team he gets to the basket and stays in front of his man as well as anybody in the backcourt. he doesn't give up dribble penetration nearly as often as some other guys do mm-hmm. and he's yeah while he's not a three-point shooter uh he shoots 50 percent from the field he hits mid-range shots he gets to the basket for layups it would be nice if he were a three-point threat but okay you know you, you could have a great three-point shooter out there who can't pass the ball or something like that. I just like McConnell because he makes the guys around him better and gets them open shots. He makes the offense hum. And I look back at his kind of the advanced stats on him last season. He played the position as well as any point guard the Pacers have had in the NBA. If you're looking at assist to turnover ratio, uh, shooting percentages, assist average, you know, you put his stats on a 36-minute basis, which is kind of what the everybody likes to do in the NBA. You know, factor in playing time, his stats were as good as any point guard the Pacers have had. I just think he gets stereotyped. He's he's kind of the cute kid, you know, jokes around, that kind of thing. Uh, But he's listed at 6'2". He plays with energy. He's always talking to teammates. Uh, He shows some cockiness by talking to opponent players as well. Uh, I think he brings good psychology to the team. And to me, the only drawback to him is three-point shooting, but you can get that in other places.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I I think with the three-point shooting, the reason I don't – well, I guess the reason I get frustrated with him uh, not being able to shoot the three is just because there for a while, and I I think Carlisle got away from it a little bit, then went back to it when he plays him in LaVert or him in Brogdon. A lot of times he's playing off ball. and saying, and Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't make any sense to me. It's like if McConnell's going to be your primary ball handler, have him have the ball in his hands and let him orchestrate the offense – and get guys like Brogdon on the outside who can shoot or whatever if a guy closes out, you know, attack after a closeout. But at this point, you know, you're basically playing four on five when you have McConnell out there, you know, spreading the floor, whatever you want to call it, because no team is going to respect his three-point shot because even if he was shooting at a decent percentage at one point this season, you live with that because that's not what he's good at. What he's good at is getting into the paint, finding guys that are cutting or moving or hitting that little turnaround jumper about six, seven feet away from the basket. I mean, I don't know how many times they did that last year in Bjorkens' offense, and he looked fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. it's just it's just so it's so perplexing to me because when I see him get pigeonholed into that off-ball guy, it's like if this is how Carlisle wants to play, um, I don't think there's only really much reason to pay this guy seven, eight million dollars a year to play him out of position and not play him the way he's supposed to be played. Like I'd rather have a point guard off the bench or starting whatever that, that can at least generate what Carlisle wants to do offensively yeah
2: I agree I'm, I'm surprised by that you know Bjorkman did that last year he'd have Brogdon and McConnell in the game together some and have Brogdon handling the ball McConnell standing in the corner and and Carl I never thought Carlisle would do that and he does and I, I agree if McConnell's in the game he has to be quarterbacking if, if you're going to stand him in the corner then he's the wrong guy to have in the game so mm-hmm. uh yeah, throw that out there, too, because I'm I'm not saying he should be used in any way but as the quarterback. I You know, maybe the best comparison for him uh, would be, you know, he's a Mark Jackson type, you know, not a great perimeter threat, but a great passer, a quarterback who gets the ball to the right people at the right time. But he's actually a better athlete than Mark Jackson. He's certainly quicker. He can yeah. beat people off the dribble. He can stay in front of his man. Uh, so I totally agree with that, you know, that you don't, don't play him off the ball. That makes no sense whatsoever.
1: Yeah, and then and then you look at the rest of who they have at guys that are you know ball handlers. You're looking at Brad Wanamaker, who's in my opinion more of a two guard, not really a point guard. I mean, he does some decent things, but a lot of times it's just not a good experience. And he's out there. Um, I don't think Brogdon's terrible I, I, at point guard. I mean, it's something that I think he really takes pride in being as a point guard, but. Ultimately, I don't love it as the as the full time point guard for this team. And then Karis Lavert obviously is a guy that can play a little bit of a ball handler position, but still he's more of a looking for his own shots. So this is probably the biggest area of concern for me is trying to find that true point guard. And I think looking across the league, it's it's a very hard position to find, uh, especially via trade. I think this is something you're going to have to address in the draft. But uh, you know, this is part of the reason why McMillan and Bjorkran and and Carlisle to an extent have tried to run most of the offense through DeMontis Sabonis. I think teams opposing teams have done a much better job of trying to force the Pacers to beat them by not allowing Sabonis to do what he does. But at the same time, I think that Carlisle this year has taken away a little bit of what Bjorkren and McMillan did in terms of how they utilize Sabonis. And it just feels like um, the Pacers are at their best offensively when Sabonis is able to do Sabonis things, and I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Yeah,
2: no, I agree. You know, he's a good guy to run the offense through there at the elbow because he's a good passer. Uh, I don't like him shooting threes unless the shot clock is expiring, and I'm, again, surprised that Carlisle has allowed that. You know, you don't want 30% three-point shooters firing away out there as often as he does, and that kind of gets to another point – Look at who the Pacers' best field goal percentage guys are. They're not the ones getting the most shots. You know, basketball isn't that complicated. You want It's a game of percentages, and you want your better shooters getting the most shots. Of course, you factor in three-point shooting to that. I think it should be clear to everyone, but now that Brogdon's best position is as a two-guard off the ball, that's how he got rookie of the year in Milwaukee. That's how he became a 50-40-90 guy in Milwaukee. While he's, like you said, adequate as a point guard, he's not a true point guard. Uh, not by the way he plays and really not by his personality good guy you know I have no complaints about him as, as a human being but he's just not a natural leader instructor talker that kind of thing um, he's not a guy who after a game will address the media and say what needs to be said on behalf of the team that kind of thing pretty quiet guy he's just not he's not uh, the starting point guard on a good NBA team, in my opinion. So this team's be- biggest need is as is for a point guard, uh, particularly with McConnell being hurt. They have really a surplus of wings when you get the, you know, Brissett and Levert and, you know, all the guys they have who can play two or three. If if there was a way to trade one or two of those guys and get a decent point guard, that would be a good trade to make. But mm-hmm. You know, we could sit here all day and talk about good trades for basers, but that doesn't mean they could be made. So um they do they do they're overloaded at wing and they are understaffed at point guard, severely so with McConnell being injured. Um and that's if they're going to make a trade, to me, that's kind of what you're looking at. Um I still think you can play Turner and Sabonis together if you have the right people around them. You know, if you have the right point guard who gets the ball to them in the right places. You know, there's nothing wrong with having a double-double guy in the league's best shot blocker playing together, particularly to me with Turner, the whole key to whether he can be a starting four or not is his three-point percentage. And if he's a three-point threat, then he's good to have out there. If he's leading the league or one of the the league leaders in shot blocking and hitting about 40% of his three-pointers, that's a good player, in my opinion. And you can play him with Sabonis. Uh, but he requires the right guys around him to get him the ball right place, right time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, the, the the double bigs between Turner and Sabonis. And, you know, if you go back to McMillan, once Sabonis was inserted into that starting lineup, uh, the numbers were much better with him as a solo center. than go into the Bjorkren era. Turner was the, the had the better plus minus in terms of uh, efficiency with, with Bjorkren as the solo center. And now, if you look at their numbers this year, them together are <laughs> have the best positive net rating. So I, I'm yeah. just curious, you know, if you were to be the GM of the team or the, the president, whatever, calling the shots, I mean, would you be looking at breaking up these double bigs or would you be looking to move – maybe some of these wing players that you just don't think fit as well. You kind of hinted at it there a little bit, but I'm just curious, you know, do you think it's important to maybe split these two centers up and get a little bit more modern? Uh, And quite frankly, I mean, how do you think Turner would accept not being traded, uh, having to kind of still be in what he would consider a glorified role?
2: Yeah, you know, he might be frustrated by that, but I think if the team's winning, playing better, you know, I think he generally has shown a good attitude. You think about Miles Turner's career here, the (laughs) – evolution he's gone through as a rookie that everybody got really excited about and you know the guy who in the season opener in his second year had 30 points and 16 rebounds against Rick Carlisle's Dallas team and but then it's been subbed into different situations and asked to do different things go stand in the corner you know he's kind of like the George Hill of this team where he's been told to go stand in the corner and then people complain that he's not doing more well he's doing what he's told to do so it's how you use him that I, I think is important so I would do, Alex, any trade. I think people get trades wrong. Unless you have a guy on your team who's a distraction and a pain in the ass that everybody wants to get rid of. You just make any trade you feel improves the team. Uh, nobody on this team, uh, team obviously should be untradeable. Um, whatever deal you could make that you think improves the team, do it. You know, And I just think you know it's not Christmas shopping where you can think, well, we, we sure like to get that guy. We'll, so we'll trade this guy or... Or, or you can't be a GM who says, well, man, the heat is on and we got to do something. So I'm whatever deal I can get, you know, for what I'm doing, you know, no, you've got to be a, a little patient. You've got to be stubborn and wait for the right deal and then do it. And that can involve anybody. It could involve Brogdon, Sabonis, Turner, Lavert, anybody. And Lavert, to me is another issue because... He disrupts the offense. You know, to me, Levert's a good sixth man who can come off the bench and give you scoring. But I think when he's with the starters, when you have your unit healthy, he disrupts things by hunting for shots. It's great that he can go get a shot when the shot clock's running down. But too often, in my opinion, he disrupts the offense by looking for that shot. And he throws up an off-balance shot. I mean, I don't know what his field goal percentage is today, but it isn't good. Is it? Is, is he still below 40%? I'll have to look
1: it up. I'll do that real quick.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so to me, you know, I'd bring him off the bench as a sixth man because you always need scoring there. And you can play uh, somebody who doesn't have to get a lot of shots at that position if it's somebody who can defend, you know, Brissette even or Keelan Martin or whatever. Um, I just don't think LaVert is good for the offense. But, again, regarding trades, trade anybody. Whatever trade makes the team better. (laughs) you will do it and that's what's you know kind of been done in the past again if you if you reverse engineer it alex and go back and look at the trades that were made number one they were not rumored except for trading jalen rose to chicago and that has the story behind it um they weren't rumored and they you know they made the gm thought they made the team better and in donnie walsh's case they always did make the team better one way or the other um, but it wasn't a case of, well, we got to get rid of this guy. It was a case of, well, here's the trade that is available to us, and I think it'll make us
1: better, so let's do it. You know, that's really how it works. Yeah, so right now, not including tonight's game, uh, Lavert shooting 44% from the field and 29, uh, uh, 29.8% from three. So, oh, yeah. And that field goal percentage <laughs> has gone up
2: lately because he was below 40 for a long time. And, yeah. I, you know, he'd been hurt. You can factor that in, but he's not. A consistent consistent shooter. And, you know, tonight he hit a couple shots when his feet were set and he got the ball, catch and shoot. But when he's in the lane, off balance, trying to draw a foul, whatever, that's when his percentage goes down and that's bad for the offense. Again, you need that. If the shot clock's running down, you got to get something up. But you don't want that, you know, being part of the bread and butter of your offense.
1: Yeah, no, I definitely don't think he's been a great fit here. Uh, I think he was better last year under Bjorkman. But, I mean, there's even been, you know, conversations I've had with Jay Michael on this podcast where he basically just said, uh, you know, Bjorkman's telling him to do one thing on defense, and Levert just said, I'm going to do what I want to do because what you're doing or telling us to do doesn't make any sense and it's not working. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I'm sure that happens more than just here, right? I'm sure there's plenty players yeah. oh, yeah. that don't agree with coaches. But, you know, that kind of thing to me just kind of says, okay, like, i not, not that I have anything to say against Cares. I'm just saying, like, that just shows what we were was like last year. But ultimately, um, I agree with you. I think that this team, when it comes to looking at them, like, sure, I, I think fans have their favorite players. They don't want to let go. Um, you know, Miles Turner probably been the guy that's been in the most trade rumors of anybody on this current roster. I think the only one that really seemed to really get some real traction was that Gord, uh, Gordon Hayward deal that didn't happen. Um, yeah. Really, I was excited about that deal. Just thought that that would be a nice little shakeup. I I really do like Gordon Hayward as a player, and I think you can kind of tell how impactful he's been for Charlotte because when he was healthy last year, they were like in the four seed at one point, and uh, this year as well. I mean, during during you know they've had injuries, they've had COVID stuff, but I mean he's just been a big bright spot for that Charlotte Hornets team, and I think the Pacers could use a player like that. I don't know how much of a leader he is. Um, you know he seems like a quiet guy himself, but. They, they definitely need some guys that can just accept their role for what it is. I think they need more offensive connectors. They have too many guys that are ball stoppers, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, Sabonis really is the only one that I really think is much of a, a connector offensively for this team. I, I, I do like what we've seen from Chris Duarte in spurts, but defensively, he's got to get better. And then Miles Turner, while he can shoot the ball, he's not a great playmaker, uh, not a great screen setter either. You know, he, he just doesn't have great hands, in my opinion, but... He's still a guy that can impact the game. It's, it's just there's so many different ways you could go with this. Yeah. I do think the Pacers will end up making some type of moves before the deadline, especially if they continue to play at this level. You can just kind of see it on the guys' faces. They look exhausted, almost kind of like tired of playing with each other. I don't know. But I I think with this being the third coach, you cannot use the coach as the excuse anymore. I, I think it's clearly on this group of guys and they've they've got to shake this roster up somewhat because if they don't, what are you trying to sell to your fan base? Yeah,
2: well, the only thing that works here is winning, you know, and it really didn't matter who the team is. you know, back in the days. Uh, after the brawl and the club incidents, you know, people would say, well, if they just had a team that behaved itself well off the court, the fans will come out. Well, no, that's because this team behaves just fine, doesn't it? But fans are not coming out. The only thing that will bring the fans out is winning. And it's always been that way. It was that way in the ABA days, you know. I mean, people like to think in the ABA days, oh, they sold out every game. No, they didn't. Not at all. But the only, you know, they had to win to bring out the fans. And in this size market, it's always going to be that way. So that's, you know, why the fans are not coming out. There are other factors of, you know, downtown construction, and, you know, it's not convenient to get to a game. But, you know, I, so I, they certainly need to be looking at ways to improve the team. It could be any number of things, however, and it's what's available to you. Uh, you know, I, Turner, going back to him tonight, he took five shots. He hit four. Yeah, and he should have shot outs. more. Yeah, but again, but again, it wasn't it wasn't that he was passing up shots, though, was it? He wasn't yeah. getting the ball in the right place, right time. You know, Lavert took 15 shots and hit four. Probably those two stats, in a nutshell, explain the Pacers' problem. Right? You got Lavert putting up 15 shots, hitting four. You got Turner putting up five shots, hitting four. And that probably summarizes the offensive issues as well as anything. You don't have the right guys taking the most shots. So that's on Carlisle you know, that's on the coach to get that figured out. And again, uh, you know, I pointed out a couple teams that took until January to get things figured out. Um, But January is coming. And, you know, this team obviously doesn't have a lot of rope left to get things going before, uh, you know, something simply has to be done.
1: Yeah, especially if you're not going to have McConnell out there either. Uh, It really just messes things up with your bench and The fact that they haven't really addressed the backup point guard situation that much, like it took them all the way until uh, training camp to bring in Brad Wanamaker once Sumner went down and they had to trade basically Sumner just to create a roster spot because they didn't want to cut Keelan Martin. They didn't really like Kiefer Sykes enough, even though there was some buzz that maybe he would get a look at it, uh, you know, coming to the training camp on that Exhibit 10 contract. And then they got Dwayne Washington Jr., but he's a shooter. He's not really a playmaker either, in my opinion, or a point guard style of player so you know that that to me is just like hey you know you look at the front office was Tory Craig really necessary uh, or would you have been better off getting a third string point guard with that type of money and that's where I think to myself like okay we got to figure this out because for some reason Carlisle thinks he can't play Tory Craig and O'Shea set together very much um, but he thinks it's okay to play Jeremy Lamb and Brad Wanamaker out there and talk yeah. about the defensive issues when you've got Tory Craig sitting on the bench who was pretty much brought in here for his defense so that that's me I'm just a little bit you know, puzzled a little bit by the rotations, I guess, with with Rick Carlisle. I mean, you know, he's been doing this for a long time. He's got that championship under his belt, and I'm not criticizing him, but, you know, you're paying him quite a bit of money. And to get these results, I don't think the Pacers front office really should be happy with with it. And, um, you know, I put a tweet out tonight basically just saying, like, Eric Spolscher is, you know, coaching circles around Rick Carlisle right now. Like, how how do the Pacers not know how to break down a zone that they just saw a couple weeks ago yeah. You know, it's just, like, basic stuff. Like, I, I get, like, the players have to show up. And I'm not blaming everything on Carlisle, but that seems like something they should have really emphasized in practice.
2: I agree. You no, know, there are certainly questions, you know, about Rick Carlisle's performance so far. Now, we always have to remember that we don't see what happens in practice and in the huddles and how, how things are being set up. Sometimes the players don't do what they're supposed to do. I've had the privilege of being an insider with a few teams where I was there in practice every day, you know, these are with Purdue teams, you know, for book projects where I was, you know, on the bench in the locker room, Matt practiced the whole deal. And you, what you learn from that experience is that, you know, the games are just the tip of the iceberg and the players aren't always doing what they have been coached to do. Uh, and it helps you kind of put things in perspective. It's always easy just to point the finger at the coach, say he's terrible, that kind of thing. But obviously, ultimately the coach is responsible for the team and the Pacers are 13 to 19 as we speak tonight. That is below what they should be. Uh, they've had injuries, but so has every other team. Look at everybody. Miami was missing tonight. So yeah. you can't use the injury thing. Uh, they are certainly uh, missing point guards. Uh, you know, now Brogdon hurt. Again, you know, we don't know how long he'll be at. So that has to be shored up somehow. Uh, so you know, something needs to be done certainly with the roster. It's not like anybody would say this team is set <laughs> for the future, uh, but at the same time, you don't make a deal just to make a deal, you know, and things yeah. will start to happen certainly before February. I'm confident something will happen. Um, teams, you know, most teams aren't really eager to deal right now. We just passed the point where players became eligible for trade,
1: right? So, yeah, the 15th, yeah.
2: Yeah, so it's early, kind of early in the trade season, really. Uh, So I'm not mad at the basers for not having made a deal to this point. Uh, And I do believe they are looking into whatever they can do. Uh, I think people should keep their focus on the season to this point, not tonight's game, Uh, not put much stock into Herb Simon's press conference. Look at, you know, what's happening on the floor and, you know, what, needs to be done to make the chemistry right, because the chemistry obviously isn't right.
1: Yeah, this team chemistry is off. I I desperately think this team needs a couple of dogs to come in there and just kind of, you know, ruffle some feathers. I I think that'd be good for this team to have some veteran leaders. You know, I I always go back to when the Pacers brought in Byron Scott and just, like, Mm -hmm. what that pickup meant for that team. And, I mean, you would probably know it way better than I, because I was barely – Born, I was barely born at that point. I was like you know, two <laughs> or three. But, you know, you got a guy in there that had that championship experience with the Lakers, been around a lot of great players, and he was able to come in there, you know, and he took a bench role, right? Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't like he was dominating or trying to take Reggie's spot. Like, no, he knew what he was brought in for. And I think the Pacers could use someone like that. They don't really have a lot of veterans on this team. Justin Holliday is the oldest guy. But I think they could really use a, like a veteran player that, you know, they don't probably want to sign an Indiana. I get it. You know, Byron Scott's probably an anomaly for most players, but there's still players out there. Like I would have loved to maybe brought in someone like Jared Dudley, uh, just a guy that's been a vet for a long time. You know, Vince Carter, what he did with Dallas when he went down there towards the end of his career. uh, Just, just a guy like that, that can be that leader, but doesn't have to be on the court to make an impact. You know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, I agree. I agree. It needs to be a more macho team. You know, it needs to be, it needs to have a hard ass. Like, Reggie Miller, being a skinny six-seven guy, was a macho player because he talked trash. He challenged opponents. He got technical fouls. He played with such emotion uh, that it rubbed off on teammates. And you need a player who rubs off on his teammates. Um, so you need to have a macho presence. There's any number of guys in the league who play that way. Uh, mm-hmm. But you also do need a leader. You know, like Miami's got Kyle Lowry, a guy like that who maybe he's past his prime, but he's got history. He knows what it takes to win big. He's been a part of that. And, you know, he would be kind of a coach on the floor. The Pacers really don't have that guy. You know, they tried to they tried to give that role to Brogdon. And I guess he's tried. But to me, that's just not who he is. And you can't change that. It's not his fault. They tried to make Jermaine O'Neal a leader back in the day when I was covering the team. And it didn't work because that's not who he is. Uh, you can't make somebody a leader. That's a quality you're probably born with. That's probably genetic. You know, you can learn leadership skills, but it's really a function of personality. And you're not going to alter someone's personality when they're in the NBA. So they've got to find that guy, you know. And again, see, I, I consider McConnell um, a leader, you know, because of his communicating skills, because of, you know, just the way he approaches the game, the energy he brings to it. And I think that's you know one of the reasons I like him starting when he's healthy because he brings that nobody else on this team does. So yeah. that's who they need. You know they need they certainly lack leadership. Uh, you can't uh, impose it on someone, and they certainly need a macho element. And you know tonight's game aside, to me the energy generally speaking has been okay. It's more like lack of chemistry, you know, confusion on offense. Um, but they still need somebody who's just a tough guy you know it could be a role player you know it could be a Dale Davis type of guy or whatever somebody who's just a genuinely tough guy who plays hurt who takes the pounding and Sabonis you know really Sabonis can be that guy but they still need to make adjustments
1: yeah so my yeah no there's no doubt about it my my last question for you here as I know we got to sign off here in a minute but my last question for you here when it comes to everything that happened in terms of guys names being put out there in the in the trade rumors once again obviously Lavert Sabonis Jeremy Lamb has been in it for a while now and Miles Turner you know those four guys their names have been rumored you know like i said but how does that impact how they play the rest of the season or up until that trade deadline because they could be looking at this as like a hey, you know, trades could happen, let me go out here and try to get mine so I look good so I can get traded, or if they want to stay, they're trying to prove why they should stay. I mean, how does that impact, and how have you seen that from previous seasons impact uh, a roster?
2: Yeah, it it can be unsettling, no question about it. If your name gets thrown out there, even if it's anonymous and not really from a credible source, uh, it's still unsettling. Now, the Pacers do have that philosophy. Um, you know, we're told where if a player is genuinely in a trade discussion, uh, Kevin Pritchard will tell them, you know, and hey, it's possible, that kind of thing. And, the, I, you know, that's a good philosophy. And they told Miles Turner, right, that there was a conversation with Charlotte, you know, involving Gordon Hayward. So I think that's good. And. You know, it makes me wonder, have they told any players lately that, hey, we are having a discussion involving you? I don't know. You know, we don't know of anything like that. But, um, you know, we'll find out in due time. So uh, it can definitely be unsettling. Uh, Again, I can go all the way back to like the second year of the franchise. You know, uh, the Pacers actually tried to trade Roger Brown at one point because he and Slick Leonard weren't mixing well. And it was in the newspapers and the team was struggling and Mel Daniels is coming out in the newspaper. We got to stop this trade talk; It's really bothering guys, that kind of thing. So that goes back to, you know, 1968. And it's true today as well. You know, yeah. that if, you're, if your name is getting thrown out there, because it's not, even if a player is unhappy with how things is, are going with the team he's on, you know, a trade, you got to move to another city. There's just, you know, everyone knows what it's like to have to move and if you're moving across the country somewhere, and particularly if you're married or have kids, you know, it's an unsettling thing. So it's not going to help you play better. Um, hearing that there may be a trade. And again, that goes back to why I think Herb Simon had that press conference. He wanted to calm things down. And that's he, that's what he said, nice things about his team. He was trying to keep things calmer and get the trade thoughts out of his players' heads. And then it kind of backfired on him. So, yeah, um, yeah. you know, it, it's not a good thing. Uh, But players, on the other hand, know that trades are always a possibility. And one thing I've been kind of surprised by when I've seen trades made over the years, the players accept it pretty well. I've never seen anybody just like go off on the team or break down and cry or anything. I was in the building today. Danny Granger got traded and uh, he was kind of shrugging and smiling. And I was there when Al Harrington and Steven Jackson got traded to Golden State. And, you know, they, they, We're okay with it. You know, they were just kind of laughing about it. And so guys accepted differently, but it's still not a good thing to have trade talk hanging over a team's collective head. Uh, So I think they know something's likely to happen and they're wondering if it'll involve them. Uh, But I'm not convinced anybody wants out of Indianapolis, you know, I think guys like playing here. I think the whole thing about nobody wants to be in Indianapolis, that gets way overblown. You know, the Paul George went it out for not because he didn't want to be in Indianapolis, that type of thing, or didn't like the you – know, he was perfectly happy here when the team was in the conference finals. So that stuff gets overplayed. Uh, but still, again, to get back to your question more directly, it's not a positive deal when players have the feel that a trade is about to be made.
1: Yeah, and especially since it came out what early early December, now yeah. they got to wait basically two months for, for this whole thing to pass over, where there's an, you know no chance of them moving once the deadline's passed or or whatever. So, I mean, it's just one of those things where I think fans seeing that they probably got a little bit over anxious, over excited about hey, let's let's see what they can do, shake this roster up. We're tired of losing, but I think yeah. similar to the fans, the, the players are probably tired of losing as well and uh, would welcome any fresh start just to try to get back on the winning track and maybe, you know, just a, a new change, a change of scenery would be good for him. But, uh, Mark, work people find you out on social media and do you have anything you'd like to promote? Uh,
2: well, yeah, I'm on Facebook, and Twitter at Mark Monteith, uh, very simple. And, uh, I write about every other week for the Indianapolis business journal, a sports article there that's kind of been interesting to branch out into some different areas. And I'm, uh, researching the next book that will cover the, Pacer championship teams of the ABA with the focus being on the biographies of some of the players, you know, just their backstories of the George McGinnis and Billy Keller and Rick Mount guys uh, that older Indiana basketball fans are so familiar with. So Mm -hmm. that's a long-term project. Uh, So that's it. You know, I'm not involved in Pacers coverage this year, which is okay, given the way things are going, but I I watch every (laughs) game and it's just interesting kind of to sit back and see how other people perceive it and apply my experience as a guy who's been around the team practically forever and what I've witnessed. And so that's always kind of an interesting thing for me to watch. And Alex, I'll tell you, hardly a season ever goes by where there aren't trade rumors, and they rarely come to fruition, at least the ones that are being rumored or the names that are being thrown out there. So I always remind people, go back and look at the trades that were made And remember that they weren't rumored, you know, and they weren't, you know, they weren't expected necessarily either. So uh, that's why I'm partly amused and and often annoyed by all the the trade rumors and the trade talk.
1: Yeah, now You bring up a great point, too, real quick. I was just going to say, because, you know, you go back and think about when all that stuff came out once Paul George was traded. Like, oh, you know, the Celtics, you know, the Pacers wanted two first round picks on a starter, like all this all this stuff came out before the trade happened and after the trade happened, well, the Pacers could have had this, could have had that. And I remember John Sally was actually on first take and he said, I know that if there's a trade rumor out there involving a specific player for a player that that trade's not true. Uh, Because obviously that rumor's out there to try to drive prices up and agents are leaking stuff to try to, you know – get the value up higher or whatever for their player. They're trying to set that value. It's go same, same goes for free agency and all that. It's just a mind game at that point. But uh, you know, I'm just, I'm excited to see the Pacers front office, try to, to hopefully retool this team a little bit. I would love to see Carlisle uh, turn this thing around for this team and, and get these guys to play for him. But I think ultimately they desperately need more athleticism on this team. They need better shooting and, and they really need a true point guard. So there's a lot of issues, I think, with this team. But, um, you know, there's still some good pieces here. And I uh, I do enjoy watching them, even when they have games like tonight. You know, uh, that's not been the norm. They've had a few of these games this year, but they've been in a lot of close games throughout the season. They just can't close them out. So uh, It's
2: always interesting one way or the other. You know, if you're not too in- invested in the winning and losing, it's always interesting just because the process of putting – a contending team together is really difficult. Usually requires some luck along the way. Yeah, uh, and it's interesting to watch that happen. And I understand the Pacers being patient because there have been other times in the history when people were frustrated. They were mediocre for you know four years running, and people said they got to break it up and tank and start over. And then they found a way to become a, cont- a contending team. You know that happened with when Larry Brown came in. Uh, again, it happened again uh, when Rick Carlisle came in uh, and basically then Larry Bird had to dismantle the team and put one back together. And that took time. But then they put another contending team together. So it's been done. And that's why Herb Simon, I think, is pacing because he's seen it done time and time again uh, when he's owned the team. And he's put a lot of faith in his GMs and he's generally been rewarded. That doesn't mean it'll happen this time. But it certainly has happened in the past, so I can understand his uh, his patience. And sometimes, Alex, one trade, you know, could really uh, make a huge difference with the team. Can put the pieces in place, could make the chemistry right. Uh, it doesn't have to be a total makeover. Just one, maybe two deals yeah. can sometimes have a huge impact if they're the right ones.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, uh, you know, I, I honestly think if this Pacers team – didn't make the playoffs again this year and got themselves into like the top 10 of the lottery. It wouldn't be the worst thing uh, for this franchise. I think if they could find a a guy that could maybe be a cornerstone for this team in the lottery or, you know, early in the draft, I think that that might be the best way to go about trying to rebuild on the go. Right. Uh, You know, you don't, you don't try and tank, but you just have a roster that's not good enough. They don't make the playoffs and then you get the benefits of, maybe getting somebody that could really change a franchise around in the draft. You know, uh, you never know, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in the lottery, but you have a better chance of finding that, that star-level player there. But, uh, Mark, I've kept you longer than I probably should have, but I want to say thank you again, and uh, hope you and your family have a happy holiday, Merry Christmas, and uh, we will get you back on here soon.
2: Okay, thanks, Alex. You ready? Showtime.
1: All right, everybody, joining us now for our fan of the week on this Tuesday. It's the one and only Ian Thomas. Ian, thanks so much for joining us, man. How you doing?
3: Good, good. I I have to correct you immediately. I have the most common name in Eastern Europe. So I'm not the one and only. <laughs> oh <laughs>
1: yeah, it's uh, sorry, any, dad,
3: dad joke.
1: <laughs> hey, no, no, no. I was like, is it not Ian? Is it Ian? Is it something I said wrong? I was like, well, we'll see what happens here. But uh well, well, obviously the Pacers haven't played in five days. We're going to see them back in action tonight against the Miami Heat uh, on national TV, the one and only time this season. But I'm curious, you know, with the way everything has gone this season, how are you feeling about the state of the team right now? And what what are your what are your feelings about the future of the team?
3: Yeah, I uh, I've been on a little bit of a roller coaster with this team. Um, I've I've been a fan like the first season I remember like the 98, but I mean, I've been, you know, my I've been following the team since the early nineties when I was a kid and stuff. And, and I think that losing or mediocrity feels like an eternity. I, I, I remember those early two thousands teams when we were rebuilding and that was really the only true rebuild I remember um, outside of obviously post brawl. Um, And if you you think about it, this team has only missed the playoffs twice in the last 10 years, right? Um, Mm -hmm. That may need to be fact-checked, but um, including 2020, the Pacers have always been very middling. Um, So I think that there's a lot to be excited about. It's just we've seen a lot of the same thing for five years now. Um, so I think, you know, as a, as a fan, you know, I'm hungry for change, but I'm also like, I actually was reset by the Simon comments on like a a lot of people. I, I was reminded that like, you know, there have been some pretty magical moments. Uh, you know, the, the team previous to the 98 season where we took the bulls to seven games, they didn't make the playoffs the year before that. Um, so I think, it's, it's annoying to be patient, but that's just sort of where I'm at, man. Um, you know, I'm very excited about Miles's growth this year. Um, Domas is always exciting. Um, I feel like I'm interested to, to, to hear a little bit for more from you because it doesn't get touched on a lot. Um, with Domas and Malcolm, they're, they're both really talented players. Mm-hmm but they don't always seem like they fit exactly on this team. Like, I mean, do you see a future built around those two, or do you see them as kind of centerpieces in the retool?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I, I think that I'm more on the side of Domas is probably the best player on the team, without question to me. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense to, to build around him. Not, not necessarily with him as your best player. I think you've got to find someone – that can catapult him as, as your best player, get you somebody that he can kind of be that second or third option. I think the same would go for Malcolm. I think if they had a true leader, if Vic would have been Vic when, you know, he was back in seventeen eighteen with with Sabonis and Brogdon, I think that we wouldn't even be having this conversation of can no. these guys to be playing together because Vic at his best could just use that shooter that Brogdon is, that secondary playmaker, and then use Sabonis as a guy to help him get downhill and play the pick and roll with I mean, Honestly, if Vic doesn't get hurt, we're looking at a pretty good, you know, trio right here with Miles being what he is now, that fourth, fifth option, and then TJ Warren sliding right in. So, I mean, the way the team was built was built to be really good. It's just injuries have Mm -hmm. derailed this team. And so to further, to more so answer your question, I I guess with the way the team is currently now, I'm not sure what you're going to get back in any type of Levert or Turner trade or even a Sabonis trade if they decide to move Sabonis. But I do think ultimately that Brogdon uh, is someone they like, they value him, but with Malcolm and Domas, I do think you miss a little bit of athleticism with that, with that starting lineup. So you're going to have to find more athletic players. I think they want that in Isaiah Jackson. I think Chris Duarte is pretty athletic and then we'll see what TJ Warren is once he comes back. Cause that's still a big question. Sure. But, but I think personally, like just because they extended Malcolm in the offseason does not mean that he is guaranteed to be here long-term, I think it was one of those things, you lock him up, and then a team might be more willing to trade for him, knowing he's got three to four years on his deal instead of one.
3: You know, and I think it was Scott Agnes that you guys had on last week that, I think in passing, mentioned that Brogdon might might potentially be the best point guard we've had outside of Jamal Tinsley and Mark Jackson. And what's crazy about that to me is when I watch him play, I don't really see him being an effective point guard. Mm. I love him off the ball a ton. Um, but I would, I agree. I mean, I see that vision that KP had. If you take all NBA Vic, which I, whether you assume that's a sta- sustainable or not, but just having a fun Homer moment, and you say that Vic doesn't get hurt, you put that player on this team. It's hard not to see a championship contender team. I mean, you probably don't have Rick Carlisle. Yeah, it, 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 a lot of things have to go the exact same way. But it, <laughs> I mean, you do kind of see how, if everything is, you know, works out, how it makes sense. It's just it didn't, it hasn't worked out to this point. If that makes sense?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know necessarily if I'd go all the way and say they'd be a championship level team, depending on which Eastern Conference you are talking about, and depending on what teams sure. did with their moves, but. I think if you look at them, if you look at Victor, just say 17-18 Victor with this Pacers core right now, I mean, yeah, there might be a three or four seed, maybe a five seed. I think they can maybe get to the second round and maybe upset somebody in round two and get to the Eastern Conference Finals at most. But I mean, that's just being extremely homer. And uh yeah, I you mean, know they what took I mean. The
3: Cavs, they took the Cavs, to yeah. Seven. But the
1: but the Cavs it was
3: a busted Cavs team, though. It was it like was LeBron and
1: <laughs> <laughs> Right. And I mean, if you think about the Eastern Conference of the year, it was incredibly down. Like the Pacers mm-hmm. had they been in the right matchup, they could have possibly made it to the Eastern Conference Finals that year. I mean, I'm just saying, like that team had a lot of flaws to it as well, with Collison, yeah. Bogdanovich, Thad, Miles still not being um, the player that he is now because at that point he had mm-hmm. had some up and down moments there in his young career. But ultimately what I will say is I, I'm I'm not sure what moves they make for this team going forward. I think we're all eager to see a couple of trades just to kind of break up the monotony. Yes. But what if this team starts winning? What if this team starts mm-hmm. finding a way to hit their groove and, and maybe takes advantage of all these teams that have players out due to COVID and they're able to get this thing back on track?
3: So I, like I had mentioned earlier, like I was personally reset a little bit in my expectations with the, with the Herb Simon interview um, where I do agree that he is out of touch with the the fan is right now, the brand of basketball that the Indiana Pacers play is not very fun to watch. Most of the time they get, they get into it and they get mm-hmm. engaged and there are moments that it's fun, but, Um, You had brought up the lack of athleticism. There's a lot of injuries. There's, you know, a lot of guys who are losing, losing their step. And I think one thing that we've never done, and I don't know that I really expect the team to do either, but we've, we've never gotten young enough to where we're just sort of the plucky, exciting, probably not going to win team, but there's something to get excited about. Um, You know, if this team starts to win right now, I think it would be pretty COVID related. Um, Yeah from what I'm seeing in body language on the floor is there are some questions about chemistry between, Mm. you know, the continuity. So I think if I had my finger on the button, I'd still be taking calls, but uh, it's, it's hard to really read, you know, what upper management is thinking or what they're willing to do or, or really even how they value these guys versus the rest of the league.
1: Yeah, I think that last part's probably the biggest question mark for me is how do they value their guys compared to the other guys around the league? And what do they think is fair value for their players? Right. Because at that point, mm-hmm. if you don't feel like it's fair value, you might not pull the trigger on a trade. But if you think it is, then then you probably would. But I'm not I'm not too scared away by what Herb Simon said in terms of making some of those minor moves that they already talked about. Like, I think everybody after reading the original report thought, okay, they're just gonna basically retool, re-re rebrand a little bit not necessarily mm-hmm. tear down and, and rebuild but i think because herb simon heard that word rebuild he felt the need to address it because he wants nothing yeah. to do with a trust the process type style of rebuild tear yeah. down <laughs> no. he does not believe in that at all so i mean i think that was more so him just trying to say that but a little bit of a question mark with him saying little team little tj mcconnell yeah. just like, you know just just weird but um i i, I think we should transition just a little yeah, bit. Sure. Um, Tell me how you became such a big fan of the Indiana Pacers and maybe one of the most memorable moments you have uh, from being a fan.
3: So I think like most people in Indiana, especially around, you know, our age group, I'm a little bit older than you guys, but uh, not, by, not by much. Um, you know, I think uh, my, my parents were musicians. They were artists. Um, they were not sports people. And I grew up about an hour and a half. From Indianapolis or so. Um, they started putting Pacers games on Channel 4 or like probably 92, 93 ish. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I you get into an age range close to 10 where you're trying to figure out your personality. And when the people around you, you don't really identify with those personalities. Um, Reggie Miller kind of became uh, that example pretty early on for me uh the way that he approached playing the game like a performance uh he you know one of my favorite quotes of his is you know uh borrowing the you know always leave leave them wanting more Mm -hmm. um I just sort of identified with that bravado not to use Herb Simon's words the little guy syndrome but I mean he was skinny as hell for the 90s you know yeah yeah um so that that that's really what started it um, and then I fell in love with the game because you, you know, you can, you can kind of find the artistry in it and I really attached to it. So, uh, the Pacers just kind of became the team that wasn't the bulls, you know, and yeah. growing up in, in Richmond, we close to Ohio, usually yeah. identified more of a college sports. So, um, mm-hmm. the most memorable, um, there's so many, but there's, there's really only one that superseded all of them. Um, actually Vic's first year. So 2000, uh, the beginning of the 2018, 19 season, uh, we were living in Philly and actually came home for my son's birthday. He was born in October. And uh, I thought I was buying preseason tickets to go see the Pacers for the first time in like five years. It was actually game one. Um, and that night, I, um, Vic, actually, that was the uh, the night that uh, Vic hit the game winner over Kimba Walker. And uh, that was my son's first Pacers birthday, uh, his first game winner inside of a stadium. And uh, he actually, from that moment on, uh, Vic was like his favorite player the way that Reggie was mine. And so it was like um, a huge connect, a generational connection thing. Yeah, that's awesome, man. No, I think that's a that's a fantastic story, how it
1: lines up, just because, you know, as kids, you you connect with somebody. And I feel like when I was a kid, um, you know, I loved Reggie. And then as I got into my teenage years, um, Jermaine kind of was there, mm-hmm. but I, I really liked Danny Granger more than Jermaine O'Neal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly why. I was just a bigger bigger Danny guy. I just loved the way that he played, and I felt bad for him because he was on such terrible teams, right, um and oh man. The time he got healthy that he got hurt again and he started going through injuries. So it's just it's just a bummer that we never were able to have that team at full strength with Danny in the mix. But um I, I guess here for our wrapping it up conversation, do you have any hot takes with this Pacers team?
3: So I got a couple. <clears throat> so we'll do a throwback hot take, and then uh I guess I'll I'll throw I'll throw out a a, a Currencies and hot take. So, I, I since you're a Danny Granger guy, I love, love, love Danny Granger. Uh, my hot take is that the the year that he got traded, that is exactly why that team spiraled and mm-hmm. uh, struggled into the playoffs. Him hurt was a better player than Evan Turner.
1: Yeah, no, and that's I, my hot take. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty common hot take. But hey, uh, that's fair. Yeah, but I don't blame it because honestly, I think one thing that is a little bit miss um, to know that people and fans miss out on the whole thing of team chemistry because team chemistry is a huge part of team morale and team success. And, you know, mm-hmm. if you don't like the guys in your locker room or there's guys in your locker room that don't gel and there's not someone in there to be that leader, there's issues. And I think that's why Kevin Pritchard hit home on that. But Ian, yeah, uh, I, uh, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. And fun fact about your name. I don't know if you know this, but I'm pretty sure you do. Um, you cannot spell Indiana without Ian, so uh, <laughs> just so everybody knows, if anybody wants to say you're not a Pacer fan, you could say those words to them. But you know how we sign off on our show, so you're the closing segment here for Setting the Pace tonight. Um, if you're excited for the Pacers to play the Rockets on Thursday and get a chance to see Jalen Green, but hopefully in a loss, say these three words.
3: This is Setting the Pace. Woo! Let's go Pacers!